Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. I know we talked last week a little bit about Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, and how he bore our sicknesses, our pains, our diseases, and uh, how some have argued, I think I mentioned this, how some have argued that, well, Isaiah 53 isn't really about physical healing. It's about spiritual healing. It's about emotional healing. It's about healing relationships, mainly healing our relationship with God. Now, I can, one of the earliest songs that I can remember learning or hearing anyway as a new believer uh, was from David Ingalls. Anybody remember the old David Ingalls songs? He just said it, it wouldn't be everybody's cup of tea, uh, but it just hit me at the right time in life that I still have a warm place in my heart for David Ingalls and his songs. But they were very faith-filled uh, confessions of songs. And one of them was called I Am Healed. And uh, I am healed, I am whole, from the top of my head to the sole to the tip of my toes. First Peter 2.24 said we were, says we were, and if we were, then I am. So First Peter 2.24, I remember that scripture. What's it say? By his stripes, you were healed. Uh, but, or we are healed. And he says, but he, Peter's actually, if you read it in context, it looks like he's talking more about our healing of our relationship dealing with sin and salvation. There's nothing wrong with that. Peter's simply, he's using a very specific scripture in a very specific way. But because it, you can't say, well, Peter clearly meant it this way, therefore, that's all that Isaiah can mean. That's clearly not it. Because when Jesus healed someone, it, physically healed someone, it said, this was done, that it might be fulfilled that which was, written, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, who said, and then quoted this part. So it clearly was about physical healing. You can't argue that. Uh, but let me start here, because we're talking today about sin and forgiveness and healing. I do believe that it is, God, it is always God's will for us to be healed. Now that's a radical place to, to come from for a lot of Christians. Because most Christians, genuine Christians who believe the Bible, I, I can't think of any that I've met who we've talked about this uh, with that, that would say, oh God, simply can't heal anymore, or God never heals. They all say he can and he does, but it's very easy to qualify that and say, but we don't always know if it's his will. Nothing wrong with asking, and certainly God can, but let's face facts, usually he doesn't. And that's probably good for us because God is growing us up. He's teaching us things. Now, and I'm sorry, you've probably heard me say this a dozen times at least, but I can absolutely testify that going through physical trials has, I have come out of those having experienced some growth. That doesn't mean God did that to me in order to cause the growth. What that's an example of is God bringing something good out of something bad. He doesn't cause all things, but he causes all things to work out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You see the difference? This is what happens with sickness. It's very important that God said when he, when he brought his people out of Egypt 
and established the covenant with them, gave them the law that if you will do this, if you will follow these ordinances, I will put none of the diseases of the Egyptians on you that I put on them. So we say, well, we say then, sickness is not my portion because I'm in a covenant with God. The problem is we know that they didn't follow his ordinances. I bring that up because we can't scripturally say that God never brings sickness. Because he said he put it on the Egyptians. And he said, if you do this, I won't put it on you. Does that mean that God ever did put sickness on him? I'm going to read out of Micah chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. The Lord's voice cries to the city. Wisdom shall see your name. Hear the rod who has appointed it. And yet, and there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the short measure that is an abomination. Shall I count pure those in, uh, with wicked scales and with the bag of deceitful weights? For her rich men are, all, are full of violence. Her inhabitants have spoken lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. He's talking about his people with their unjust, unrighteous business practices and their unholy speech. And what does he say? Uh, Therefore, I will also make you sick by striking you, by making you desolate because of your sins. Now in this case, sickness was going to touch Israel because God is making it happen as an expression of his judgment. Yes, there was a promise. I'll put none of these diseases on you if you do this. He says, you're doing this. You're not doing what I told you to do, and you are doing the very things I told you not to do, so I'm going to put these diseases on you. It was an act of judgment, and it's scary to think that way. Does, and, and so we immediately jump to this idea, well, God doesn't change. If he did it then, he does it now. So a couple things. I know for one thing, let's look at this. I'm going to try to do this as quickly as possible. And I can't cover all the bases, especially with this hodgepodge of notes I have this morning. There is certainly such a thing as something you can do or a habit, you not just do once, but do habitually, uh, that are, that, that's going to have negative repercussions on your health. Smoking, drinking, all the, and, and eating certain things in excess uh, breathing the wrong kind of air. You know, you can sometimes... Uh, but I'm, I'm talk, Actually, let's just talk about behavioral stuff, stuff that we could maybe at least classify as sin uh, that's going to have a negative effect on you. Uh, and so we have something to say about our health. Um, but there's a difference between that, the natural negative effects of these things, and the active judgment of God, okay? A person who uh, is diagnosed with cancer after 30 years of smoking three packs a day it's not like God said, I'm so sick of you smoking, I'm going to give you cancer. That's not how that works. Right? Can we, can we agree with that? Uh, the second thing, though, is that if we have a promise of healing, and I believe we do, and we're going to get there. Uh, we've already gotten there, but we'll get there again today. Is that nothing we do disqualifies us from the healing promise of God if we confess our sin and turn to him for healing. 
You're looking at me like you don't believe that part. It's true. You were, so what, what's the most important aspect of our salvation? Is we have been freed from the power of sin and grave and death, right? We've been promised eternal life in Jesus Christ. Now, when you sin, does that disqualify for you from your salvation? No. Is it important to repent and confess your sin? It is. But once we do that, we're, we never lost our salvation. And we need to understand that healing is part of that same package. The benefits of salvation don't go away because of our behavior. We do need to recognize if there's something I did, and I'm not just talking about bad habits, all right? When we sin, we can open up the door for the devil to attack us. We looked at that in detail last week or the week before about how sometimes sickness is a very, it's a, there's a clear straight line connection between demonic activity and sickness. You know, the, the Canaanite woman who came to Jesus uh, and talking about the crumbs and the dogs uh, said her, girl, uh, her daughter was severely demon-possessed, but it manifested in the form of sickness, and that's often the case. But sometimes, here's what I want you to see. God never said to his covenant people that sickness will never touch you. He said, I will never put it on you if you live the way I'm telling you to live. Do you see the difference? Not every sickness that you encounter, and I would say, and this is just my guess, I can't, I can't back it up with a particular verse, I think most of the time when we get a cold, when we, get, we, when we injure ourselves, whatever ailment is, is that we are fighting or wrestling with, I would say the majority of it is just the result of living in this fallen world. Not necessarily a demonic attack. Okay? But it all is covered by the healing promise of God and the finished work of Christ. Some people will say, well, it can't always be God's will to heal or we'd live forever. That's not true either. Death is an appointment. It has been appointed unto man to die once. Okay? Uh, that's, that's a separate issue from healing. I don't know. There are some people, there's a group out there, at least there used to be called the Manifest Sons of God, uh, who believed and preached that if you you grasp this word and live correctly, then no, you will not die. You will, eternal life starts now and you don't have to go through that door of death. And that's, that's heresy. That's false doctrine right there, okay? We have an appointment to keep. And, and the, the effect of death has been softened uh, in the life of a Christian to the effect of just a shadow. The valley, yea, though I walk through the valley of death. No, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what it has become because Jesus died that death for us. We know what's on the other side of it. It's not easy. It's never easy to walk through with somebody as they're dying. And it's, not, it's, it's, it's hard for most people to die. But it's easier because of what Jesus has done. Amen? Amen. So, and finally, the argument will, will go something like this. Well, yes, physical healing is promised. Yes, it is in the atonement. But it will only truly be manifested in heaven. And maybe God does some healings here, but it's not something that we can expect this side of heaven. Well, that's kind of true of the whole atoning work of Christ. Salvation itself was bought and paid for for everybody 2,000 years ago. The finished work of Jesus on the cross was enough 
more than enough to purchase salvation for everybody. That doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved. But it's not because there wasn't enough power at the cross. It wasn't because he didn't bleed enough. It wasn't because there's a a shortcoming in God's love. Why is it? Because some won't believe. Some won't receive that salvation, even though it's, it's paid for already. It has nothing to do with what they have to do to get it. They just don't want it. So to say, well, salvation's in the atonement, uh, but it's not for everybody. It doesn't make sense. It's for everybody, but not everybody's going to experience it. Well, okay, so healing's in the atonement. It's available to everybody, but we're not going to see it perfectly till we're in heaven. That same thing's true of our sin, right? We're saved. I don't think I'm going to be any more saved in heaven in terms of my righteousness than I am now. But, and this is something we don't make a big enough deal of. Let's think about this, and I didn't even have this scripture, and I should have. But it's the, when Jesus healed the, the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. You remember? He'd been laying there for 38 years. Was it 38 years? And uh, he goes up to him, do you want to be healed? And he gives this excuse about, well, I try to get in the water when the angel is troubling it or whatever, and somebody always beats me to it. And, uh, and Jesus tells him to take up his pallet and walk, and he does. Now, he says something to him after that. Do you remember what it is? And when he encounters him later? He says, don't sin anymore, lest something worse happens to you. This man's been paralyzed for 38 years. Jesus heals him and then lays that on him. And he didn't say, little sins are okay, but don't do any big sins or something. Something worse than this? Something worse than 38 years of complete paralysis is going to come upon you? Why, Why would he do that? Because what are the odds this man is going to be able to live a completely sin-free life? And suppose he slips up in a big way, a small way, in an obvious way or just you know, in thought or in word. And maybe nothing happens in that moment, but now he feels like he's living under this cloud or this sword, that, that, you know, this shoe that could fall at any moment. I've blown it, and Jesus said something worse will come upon me. When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And every little pain, every little ache, he might be thinking, oh, this is the start of it. Here it comes. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be worse than that paralysis. Isn't that scary? But what's Jesus saying? What do you think he's saying? I think he's saying this. I'm pretty sure he's saying this. Sickness is in the world because of sin. We are susceptible to sickness because of sin. So the only solution to that is to be completely rescued from the power of sin. When Jesus, I usually talk about this, or I have uh, spoken about this when we, when we teach on uh, giving, tithing. Talking about when people want to say, well, the tithe, that was Old Testament, we're not under the law. And yet when Jesus referred to the law, he always raised the bar. And, and these are the two examples that, that, uh, that, that you remember. He says, uh, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. This was the law. He's quoting the law to the lawyers. And he says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. 
You've heard it said, thou shalt do no murder. But I say that if you hate your brother and call him an empty head, good for nothing fool, then you've murdered in your heart. Now what he's addressing here is saying, he's saying, you're patting yourselves on the back because you've managed to live this long without committing adultery and without killing anybody. What I'm trying to get you to see is that mankind is so sick with sin that there actually needs to be a law telling you not to do that. And we can't even conceive of it. Now we can train ourselves, and I believe as we submit to the Holy Spirit and submit to his word and speak his word over ourselves, we can get to the point where sin becomes less attractive to us. But as long as we have these physical members, we are never going to be 100% free from temptation. And when we think about, man, oh man, Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. I know I'm saved, but what if I sin five seconds after I get to heaven? God doesn't tolerate sin in his presence. And that's because we are, we are seeing, we can only see heaven, imagine heaven, in the bodies that we're in. And these bodies carry those, that remnant of the sin nature. That's why the doctrine of the glorified body is so important. We're going to have new bodies without that remnant of sin and temptation. As, as, as you've heard it said, uh, Jesus rescued us with his finished work on the cross. He rescued us from the punishment of sin. And if we walk in his resurrection authority, we are free from the power of sin. We no longer have to let those temptations and those lusts control us. We can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, choose to walk after the Spirit rather than after the flesh. So we've been freed from the punishment of sin and the power of sin. It's going to make all the difference. That I almost said all the difference you can imagine, but it's more than we can possibly imagine when we are free from the presence of sin. When we are in heaven where there is no sin, in glorified bodies that don't know what it's like to sin, that's that's a difference we can't conceive of here. But Jesus is making the point, the reason things are so bad here is because, and you think it's great because you're following the law, I'm telling you it's bad because there ha- even has to be a law, because you are so corrupt. Things were bad, right? You know, you read in the early chapters of Genesis and see how quickly it went from eating one thing they weren't supposed to eat to murder and violence And a situation in the world where, what, just uh, nine chapters into it, God has to flood the whole earth and start all over? That's how quickly. And you can imagine the cumulative effect of sin over the course of millennia. This is the world we live in now. And part of that manifestation is sickness around us. I'm getting to the really good news, okay? And let me start... I think we'll, we'll read this one first. I think I have it in here. Mark chapter 2. Gospel of Mark, second chapter, beginning in verse 1. I love, love, love this story. 
And again he entered Capernaum after some days, he being Jesus. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? What's the answer to that question? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven because nobody can look and see that that's done. You risk nothing. So oh, you're just pretending to have this authority. We can't, nobody can judge it. And we know you're not God, so, and what's he say? Hey, what, why are you reasoning this way? What's easier to say? But, verse 10, that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, there are two big reasons that Jesus did that. Now, and we will probably bring this one up again next week or the week after. <laughs> We're going to keep going. Uh, when we talk about faith for healing. Because one of the things Jesus was responding to was what? The faith of this man's friends. When he saw their faith. Okay? And he said... Your sins are forgiven. Now, he knew, and everybody knew, certainly this man and his friends knew, what this guy was there for. They didn't lower him through the roof in the bed so that Jesus could forgive him. They did it so Jesus would heal him. So he says, your sins are forgiven. He did that. One of the reasons is very, very, very clear right there in Scripture to show the scribes who were going to be criticizing him that he had the power to forgive sins. And he's going to back it up by demonstrating he has the power to heal the paralytic. The other reason is this. And we're going to look at another scripture that backs this up. One of the biggest obstacles to you receiving your healing and me receiving my healing, all of us, is guilt over sin. And it's not just healing. We find it hard to pray with a sense of expectation for anything we're asking God for, because somewhere, very often, in the back of our minds is, I'm asking God for something that I don't deserve. I really don't have this coming. My sin is what's preventing me from walking in the fullness of his promises, and in this case, healing. So Jesus dealt with that on the front end. Instead of saying, take up your bed and walk, and by the way, I forgive you, he deals with anything that might, be, might interfere with this man receiving his healing first, 
Let's remove that obstacle. Your sins are forgiven you. Take up your bed and go home. Isn't that beautiful? Let's look at a passage we looked at recently, I think last week. And this is in James chapter 5. James 5, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, we talked, I kind of got into this, I got ahead of myself last week, I got so excited about talking about it, so really quickly we talked about how there's a, what I think is simply a ludicrous take on this passage where somebody says, well, when it talks about the elders anointing him with oil, it's talking about medicine. You know, they didn't have prescription drugs, but they did know how to make poultices and, and things like this, and so the oil was a medicinal application uh, that was meant to have, uh, again, curative properties. And this is, this kind of ritual prayer is reserved for those who are sick because of their sin. Because he throws that in there. Except he dis, he, that's not really what he's saying at all. First of all, we talked about the oil. And the oil had no more power in it to heal than that water in the baptistry has to save. It's simply we act in obedience to what the scripture tells us to do. The oil is a point of contact. The oil doesn't heal. For that matter, the elders don't heal. They are simply instruments of God's healing, right? We are joining them in faith and in obedience with the command of Jesus to lay hands on the sick. But, and when it says, and if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven, that, look at how that's phrased. It doesn't say, and the sin he has committed will be forgiven. It says, if he has committed sins, they'll, they'll be forgiven. So he's not saying that, that I say that because it, it absolutely destroys this argument that, well, this only applies to sickness that is caused by sin. No, but it includes it. That's why it's there. He's, and I love that it's there because here's what it's saying. If you're sick, get in the healing line. Call the elders. Don't get hung up on which one it is. I explained that last week. You can go back and listen to it. But if we're up here, if I'm up here praying for you, you are calling on me by coming up here and letting me pray for you. All right? Just don't get twisted about that. Oh, I called you. You didn't call me. Therefore, it's not going to work. That's not how God operates at all. But so here's this opportunity to be prayed for, to be anointed with oil, to be saved from your sickness. And yet you might be struggling the same way this paralytic was, the same way many people are. Back then, all through the ages, and certainly today, even in this room, we go up for healing and think, but I wouldn't even be sick if I'd been more obedient a year ago. If I'd heard the voice of God, I never would have blah, 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 blah. I really don't deserve it. I'll come up just in case. You never know what the Holy Spirit might do. And so James says, and if you've committed any sins, you're forgiven. Let's remove that obstacle. 
when you respond to an altar call, when you call on the elders, when you have somebody lay hands on you, anoint you with oil, don't let anything rob you of your faith. Don't fall into this trap of saying, I don't deserve it. You don't deserve anything. None of us do. But we are still qualified for it. I like to use the word entitled. But that's, that's such a, that, that, that word itself makes it sound like we deserve something. But no, it's simply that title has been given to us. It's something that you are entitled to because of what? Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now when it talks about confess your, your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed... Number one, uh, that, uh, well, there's a couple of things here. Number one is that this is not a matter of ritual confession. You know, go to the priest and confess your sins one by one, and, and, and then you can be healed. Um, I think a better application of this when it says, confess your trespasses to one another. It's, it's not even a public, well, I want to get healed, so I'm going to stand before the congregation and tell you what I did. I'm going to list my sins as best I remember them. And maybe I should keep a journal so that I can remember them all. No. Confess your trespasses to one another. The main application is this. If I sin against you, I need to confess to you. I need to make it right with you. Brother, I said something to you that I shouldn't have said. Sister, I said something. Uh, I did something behind your back, and I'm sorry I did it. I didn't, I, the last thing I wanted to do was offend you, but I know I did. I need you to forgive me. And that relationship is healed among other things. I think that's a perfectly valid application of that verse. But it's also this, in terms of our physical healing. I should never pretend before you, and you should never pretend before me and others, that you are manifestly without sin. And what I mean by that is, when I'm fighting sickness, when you're fighting sickness, we cannot afford to jump into this mindset that, why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this. I'm not perfect, but I eat well, I take care of myself, I exercise, I get enough sleep. I could understand it if it was happening to this guy. But it shouldn't be happening to me. That's not how it works either. You know that, right? Knew a guy back in college who was uh, very, he was, he was one of my professors and, and, and a believer. Uh, and he, he lived, he ate well, he, he was a runner, he, he ran long distance and loved life. And uh, suffered a, a, a pretty significant heart episode when he was in his uh, 50s, I think. And it just crushed him. Just crushed him. He couldn't believe it happened to him because he took such good care of himself. Listen, we still live in a sin-sick world. A person who was sharing that with me, another a guy, I don't know if he was an instructor or an administrator out there, but I had run into him and he was telling me what happened to this guy. He says, you know, he says, you can choose your lifestyle, you can choose your diet, you can choose your exercise, but you can't choose your parents. Meaning, 
you know, there's biology involved here. There's genetic things. Now, we don't need to accept those things. It's the closest, you know, when we talk about generational curses. We don't need to, hey, look, well, this happened to my dad. It happened to an uncle. And so that's, that's probably what's going to happen to me. Uh, no, 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 no. We can, we are redeemed from those things. Those are manifestations, again, the remnant of the curse and the sin and all that stuff. We've been redeemed from it. Just saying, we don't get sick because we deserve to get sick more than anybody else does. And you don't stay healthy because you deserve to stay healthy more than anybody else does. Okay? We'll drive ourselves nuts trying to figure this out. So when it says confess your sins to one another, it just simply means, look, I'm no more immune to this than you are because of the righteousness that's in me. Okay? I'm just as susceptible to these things as anybody else. And so are you. Don't pretend you're not. Don't don't protest your sickness on the grounds of innocence, I guess is what I'm saying. There is one legitimate biblical New Testament protest against sickness, and that is the finished work of Jesus Christ and those stripes on his back. Say, so, well, why shouldn't you be sick? Why shouldn't you be sick? Because Jesus bore my sickness already. Why shouldn't I go to hell? Why shouldn't my sin be judged? Because God already judged my sin in Jesus Christ at the cross. This is so important when we talk about being manifestly free from sin in heaven. Meanwhile, we have all the rights to expect the promises of God to be operative in our lives right now in this body, in this world, because right now we are in Christ. When we pray, tough to get your heads around. It sounds like it's bordering on heresy, but it is right out of the Word of God. And when we pray, it is as if Jesus himself is asking the Father. When we pray in his name. When we are praying, sorry, when we are praying according to his will and in his name, we have, we have just as much access and right to expect what we are praying for as Jesus himself did and does. That's powerful. And so when we come before him, when we come to receive prayer for healing, when we, when we stand and, and confess our own healing, we can and we should always be training ourselves more and more to absolutely expect it, but not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. Praise and worship team, you could be making your way up here. I guess I would wrap it up this way. Don't waste time figuring out why you're sick. Move immediately to the promise. Now, as far as confessing your sin, what, all I mean by that is don't go through a cattle. All right, what, what did I do to bring this sickness in my life? live a life of confession. Just like I've, 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 I've uh, told you, you know, when, I, when I shared my healing confession with you a couple weeks ago, uh, speak that over yourselves when you're not sick. Make it a daily habit to speak these things over yourself. Just like, and you should do this with your provision. You should do this with the daily necessities of life. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Keep it be, let that be a part of the rhythm of your life, confessing your sin before God.
confessing your sin to one another if you sin against one another. It's not a matter of, well, uh, we're, we're going to have, uh, I always encourage you, especially when we're, when we're doing a series like this on, on healing, I want to hear testimonies. I want to hear how God's working in your life, okay? Uh, so it's like, well, we'll have testimony time, and then we're going to have 15 minutes of confession time, and I need you to come up here one by one and confess your sins to one another. No, we're not going to do that. For the most part, your sin is not my business, okay? But we do confess, we agree with God that we do sin, okay? And we'll prob- probably sin between now and when we go home. I mean, home to heaven. Whether, whether Jesus comes back tomorrow or whether we die 20 years from now, there's probably, you've probably got at least one more sin in you between now and then. Just, again, maybe I'm projecting here. Stand up with me. Don't waste time figuring out what you did to get sick. Why is this touching me now? It's touching you because we live in a sin-sick world that is full of disease, full of poisons, full of all sorts of things. You got, uh, we, we, sickness touches us now because we have an enemy who, loves, who still loves to make us sick. And if there is a clear connection, obviously, make that correction. Don't ignore your health and, ah, I can do whatever I want because I'm the redeemed. <laughs> you know, just, let's, let's, let's be smart about this, okay? Move straight to the promise. Move straight to the cross, straight to those stripes and confess. Lord, I come before you today with a need, a physical need in my body. And I'm thankful that Jesus himself walked into physical bodies and he, and he knows what physical pain feels like. And Father, I come before you because I need healing. I need a manifestation of what you promised and what you provided through Jesus Christ. So I thank you that you've made that part of my salvation, that I don't have to wonder about whether it's mine any more than I had to wonder the moment I got saved whether salvation was mine. I receive it by faith, Lord, and I thank you for healing me. And I declare, standing in this post-resurrection authority that you have given me, I speak over my body and declare that I am free, healed, manifestly delivered and cured from every cause and every symptom of every disease, every sickness, every malfunction and every disorder in every one of my bones and muscles, glands and organs, blood vessels, joints, ligaments, tendons, nerves, cells and tissues of my body and all the spaces in between because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and only because of that. That's good news. I'm going to invite you to come up here. I'm going to pray for you. We're not going to... You come up here in faith ready to receive. I'm simply going to lay my hands on you and say receive it unless the Lord directs me to do something else. But first, this is great news because everything I just talked about is the privilege, it is the birthright, the rebirthright of every Christian. It's just one more thing. It's one of the benefits that come with salvation. So my first invitation is this. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, if you have not recognized that the price he paid at the cross, he paid for you, and you want to recognize that today, say, Lord, I, need, I can't pay for my own sin. I, it just now dawned on me. That's what you did. You paid for my sin. I want that salvation. I need that salvation. And so I'm surrendering my life to you. Be my Lord. I confess that you are Lord, and I believe in my heart God raised you from the dead. I want to be saved. If that's you, you make a beeline down here. The second they start singing, I'm going to pray. They're going to sing. When they start singing, come up here right in the middle and tell me, I need to be saved. I want to pray with you first.
Everybody else, if you're saved, then you are qualified. You are entitled to physical healing. And I want to agree with you. Well, you prayed for me last week. If you're still fighting it, I want to pray with you again. We're not going to linger over this. Power of God. There's, there's nothing. Again, sometimes God will, will direct us to speak something, do something. But lay hands on the sick. How long does that take? How long does it take to say, be healed? How long do you see Jesus lingering over these people? He healed multitudes. He obviously didn't spend uh, 10 minutes with every single one of them. Just come up here as an act of faith and let me join my faith with yours in agreement with the word of God and go healed. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your healing, your manifest healing power in our midst today. I pray, Lord God, if there's anybody in this room, anybody in the sound of my voice who does not know you as Lord and Savior, that you would convict them of their need for salvation today. Grant them the wisdom, the boldness, and the humility to come and receive that gift of salvation today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.